Now I have the pleasure of introducing our speaker for today. Peter Evis is one of our board members and longtime members of the church, and it's really going to be a pleasure to hear from him, so let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Allison. Thank you for that introduction, that lovely introduction. Let me... We used to have like um, in the old place like the headset mic, which was a nightmare because it would like be one of those bendy things, and you would never know. But it does mean I only have one hand now. Hold on. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, good morning, and thank you so much for coming and visiting us today at the river. It means a lot, you know, that you would come out and see us and uh, spend some of your Sunday with us. And uh, we, we, I just hope you have a wonderful time with us and that God touches you in some way. Particularly, uh, it's impressive that you came um, to the retreat yesterday and you've come back here today. Uh, <laughs> it must mean that all that fun yesterday didn't tie you out too much and yet you still think that we're a community worth being part of, even if you got completely tranced in one of the games or in the ping pong tournament or something like that, like I did. So, um, so um, yeah, I'm giving the talk today and I, I just wanted to start off um, by, you know, just mentioning one of my um, favorite musical figures. It's a guy called Niall Rogers. He, he founded a band called Chic. You've heard of Chic, right? You know, he wrote, they wrote songs like Good Times, Le Freak, and things like that. You've heard them a million times. And he had a, he had a prolific career. He worked with Sister Sledge, David Bowie, Madonna, many others. He's still doing lots of great stuff. And, and why, am I, why am I bringing him up today? It's not because he wrote um, He's the Greatest Dancer, which I always think is written about me. Um, <laughs> um, I'm bringing it up because Niall had um, a great songwriting trick, uh, one that he deployed in all of his greatest hits, or most of them, and that trick was that he starts the song with the chorus, right? If you, if you listen to like Let's Dance or I Want Your Love, um, you'll see that he hits you straight away with the chorus. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting way of just dragging people into the, into the song. You know, no winding things up with verses. He just snags you straight away with the chorus. And you know that from like that song, I want your love, I want your love, I want your love, right? And you're, you're there, right? And in honor of Niall, I'm going to hit you with our chorus for today. The sermon chorus is this. Here we go. God, he's our always changing, never changing friend. God, he's our always changing, never changing friend. And I can say myself that God, you have been my always changing, but also never changing friend. And so that's the chorus of my sermon today. I want to hit you with that straight up front. And yes, that's the wonderful thing about God, that he is both never changing, but also always changing. Um, I've found that his friendship is steady, consistent, trustworthy, utterly permanent, but he's also fluid. He's adaptable and surprising. And his nature and his love are the same through eternity, but he asks different things of us at different stages of our lives, depending on our age, our consequences and experiences. You know, he responds to us in different ways, and he makes changes in how he relates to us so that he can best work with us, I found. And I think that, that faith loses a lot of its power and enjoyment when we forget 
that God's friendship is both changing and never changing. And thankfully, we were reminded of this many times in the Bible, both the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. And as you know, if you've been coming the last few weeks, our cornerstone passage for this series of sermons comes from the book of Roman, Romans, rather, written by Paul, um, who was a, you know, a one-time vicious persecutor of Christians who ended up becoming you know, this towering figure in the early church and a, and a, and a follower of Jesus. And so Paul had a lot of change to do in his life, but even though he had all that change, this is what he took from it. Look at how he, see, look at how he saw God. This is from Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, first off, isn't it so interesting that Paul is telling us that we're going to have to test and approve God's will? He's saying that's something we're going to have to do. He's saying to his people, you know, God is not written down. He's not this clear set of rules alone. He's not someone who acts the same way all the time. He's saying, no, God might do some things that are different, and we need to have a renewing, a constantly renewing mind to grasp and enjoy that and to go along with God's adventure. You know, what he's saying is, is, is it's, it's, if, it's as if a non-renewing mind, you know, one that likes to cling to assumptions, is going to struggle to respond to God. You know, think about who Paul is, the changes he's had to make. He's had to leave behind all his old ways, his previous ways of seeing God. He was very set in those ways and find a new life of friendship with God. And having gone through all of that wrenching change, you know, all of that that happened, one of his main takeaways for us is very simple. Have a renewing mind. Have a renewing mind. And we see that in the New Testament with Peter. You know, he had to make 180-degree changes in his faith too. And like when he did it, it was just amazing, the things that felt followed from that. And you see it a lot in the Old Testament. You know, here's Moses after he's led the Israelites out of Egypt. And, you know, at this point, God is not too pleased with the Israelites. And it's a very difficult moment. But God beautifully voices this deep desire to know his friend, God. Sorry, Moses beautifully voices this desire to know God, his friend, more fully. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, 
you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you the rest. I'll give you the rest. You know what that says? Is absolutely the religion of that period, you know, rested on rules. But even so, there was this belief that God would be your friend. And the way to get the most out of that friendship, you know, for yourself and for others, for the community, was to assume that God would be there for you in different ways. And here's the big takeaway. You have no idea what that will look like beforehand. You know, so you will do life with your friend God, and then he will give you the rest. You know, God is our always changing, never changing friend. And I wanted to talk personally about God being this never-changing, always-changing friend. I went back and, and looked um, uh, to find out when, when the last time I, I preached at the river was. And it was in March 2020, like two and a half years ago. We had just started doing church online. It was like a week or two into the pandemic. You know, if you remember when things were very scary. And the topic of my sermon was being able to weep, right? And I remember thinking like, why have I chosen this? Why did I take that? Why? I mean, I didn't take it. I sort of thought I should preach on weeping. And I kind of cringed when I wrote it. And I sort of cringed when I gave it. I'm like, why am I talking about weeping, you know? But we've done a lot of weeping in the last two and a half years, haven't we? I mean, there's I mean, a lot to weep about. I remember our last service in the, in the public school that we used to meet in, just down there on Sukkoti Park. Um, I was on prayer team that day. We used to have this prayer team that would pray for people, congregants. And there was this news kind of coming out about this strange new virus. And so people were starting to take sort of small cautions, you know. <laughs> and I remember, you know, normally we would pray for somebody, like let's say I'm praying for this person. I would face that person and I would pray for them. But I remember that Sunday, I was like, do you mind if I don't face you? And that was like my PPE, you know. <laughs> um, and not long after that, people in this city were dying by their thousands. You know, our lives were turned upside down. Some of us were made unemployed. You know, families had to deal with the untold stress of doing school at home. New York, our loved, a city that we love, it just was changed beyond recognition. We're still feeling the economic wounds from that. And, you know, our church, the river, faced a huge test. Two of our top beloved pastors left. Um, they went to a different part of the country. We lost a meeting space. It was a wrenching time of change. It was really difficult. And personally, over the past two and a half years, I have been through some very severe changes, and I've been experiencing unprecedented amounts of, like, stress and emotional pain. You know, as many of you know, my, my marriage of 25 years ended, and it's taken a terrible toll on my family. And the guilt that I feel some days is unbearable. You know, and in the midst of all that, there were times in, when I felt like faith was just a joke. I wanted nothing to do with it because it, it, I felt like faith had led me into terrible, harmful traps, and in many ways it did. 
And, and the Bible passage, you know, the Bible itself would just, I just I couldn't read it. And the passages that we're looking at today, if I read them, I would feel like they were trite, that they were empty. They were like taunts. You know, and these last two years have led me to believe that, you know, that trauma will change you forever. You know, I'm, I now wonder whether, you know, some wounds never heal. And so I'm a very different person from the one that preached in March 2020. But curiously, I still have faith. You know, God, God has been there for me in many ways, and I could talk about them forever. But, but one thing that really helped was coming back to church, being here around you guys. And it's very interesting. If you just read on a little bit, and I encourage you to do this later today, if you read on a little bit in Romans 12, you'll find that Paul writes beautifully about the community that exists in church. He says, each church member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. I mean, that's just a wonderful concept. It's like as if the renewing of the mind that Paul talks about comes very much from being alongside others. And so I can tell you today that God did not desert me. I learned that his friendship never changes. He was always alongside me. You know, God never left the Israelites. He never left Paul. He never left New York in the pandemic. He never left the river. He never left me. But guys, I also learned that his friendship does change. You know, I've learned a lot about how God works with us when we're in real emotional pain. You know, he has responded to my, my new ways of thinking about life, about faith, and about him. And I'll be honest, I, I've let go of some very big faith-based assumptions that I had for years. And perhaps the biggest one was how I saw hope. You know, hope is a big part of the gospel, right? And I loved that idea. You know, so much of my worldview and life was based on hope, hope that things would get better. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that being hopeful was wrong. And I think that God definitely encouraged that way of seeing things. But I was often in denial. You know, certain things in my life weren't getting better. But I would say to myself, you know, the gospel is a gospel of hope, so if I push on, things are going to get better. Things will change for the better. But they didn't. And so my way of doing hope blinded me to that um, stagnation. And it was not a good way to live because denial cuts us off from reality, and being cut off from reality is very harmful. But I do believe still that God was part of my life in those days, and he was very much part of that hope-based way of seeing life. You know, the situations I hoped would get better didn't get better. And although he may have known that was going to be the case, he might have thought at the time that hope was the right thing for me to feel then. So I don't, you know, I, I'm not clear what happened back then, but I also know that now he's part of my new approach to hope. He's also part of like the much more cautious, dialed back approach to hope that I have today. And I can tell you this does feel like a much better way to live. And I know that God is in that as my friend. He's, he's changed his approach. So he's this never-changing friend, but also an always-changing friend. 
And I understand, some of you might be thinking, this sounds like a recipe for chaos. It sounds like you're doing kind of like mental gymnastics to have God conform to your personal circumstances. But here's my response to that. There is chaos in life, okay? There is chaos in life. Life changes constantly. And in fact, I would say rejecting change is how we conform to the pattern of the world the very thing that Paul warns us about. Remember, Paul says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I say we conform to the pattern of the world when we adopt its rigid patterns instead of going down new paths with God. So we conform to the world when we adopt its rigidities instead of going down these wonderful love-guided paths with God. And I think we see that, you know, kind of writ large in our country today. I've lived in the U.S. for like 26 years, nearly half of my life. I'm 55 years old. And I know that there's many similarities between the United States and, and Europe. We're both kind of like, you know, rich countries and rich regions. And they're the same in many ways. But the United States is still a very religious place compared to Europe. You know, even taking into the account the numbers on, you know, the decline in faith, which Mike very deftly walked us through last week, um, this country is so much more religious than Europe. And I think that sort of, like, influences how the USA deals with change. And before I get critical, I just let me say this. A lot of what goes on in churches is amazing, okay? You know, through church, millions of people are renewing their minds daily. Many churches embrace change, and they showcase the gospel as they do that, and it's just a wonderful thing to be part of. And I love how church and change is the subject of, um, I don't know if you've read it, any of you, Jonathan Franzen's latest novel, Crossroads. Has anyone read that? No? Okay. Um, and it, it, it unflinched, it's this big book that unflinchingly focuses on a church, um, a pastor's family, and a youth group called Crossroads. Um, and there's a, a lot of change in that book. And, and it's really ugly at times, okay? It's not for the faint of heart. And the characters engage in change in lots of differing ways in the book. And it's a wonderful read. Um, so, you know, it, and I love how Franzen, like, captures that part of America, how, like, this wonderful thing that the United States has, which is this, like, often, you know, very sort of burgeoning religious aspect to this country, um, and he captures it really, really well. And so I'm very fond of the book. But it's also true that religion is a, is a, is a vehicle for entrenchment. And, and as a result, it can, res it, it can sort of foster a resistance to the renewing of the mind that Paul calls for. And you can see that a lot these days. You know, I just think, you know, probably every day, I sort of like scratch my head and I think like, how is it that so many of the large denominations still don't support gay marriage? You know, how can there be such dogged resistance to an arrangement that promotes deeper love between two people. It seems to me that we have such a long way to go. I mean, it, it, yeah. Okay, bringing it back to the personal. How does this, how does this all work? How do we open ourselves up to God's desire to, to, to renew our mind? And, and I think it happens when we, you know, see God as this always changing, never changing friend. And I don't have a, a, a formulaic way of doing that. Uh, I just I don't think it's possible to have one. It comes down to how we're feeling and how, who we are. But I do think um, it's 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 sort of more likely to happen, or it's easier to happen, 
when we kind of position ourselves, um, you know, in a way, it's sort of like position ourselves so that we're open to it. You know, like it, we kind of open up to God and we let go of that thing inside us that is clenched and wants to be in control of everything. Now, it's not easy. <laughs> it definitely doesn't happen overnight. But we get closer to being, you know, really good friends with God back and forth when we position ourselves toward God, what God is doing with our guard down. And so this is my first practical suggestion today. Get tangled up in God's wonderful web, okay? Now, I don't want to portray God as this, like, spider who's waiting to devour us, okay? <laughs> and for arachnophobes, I understand that this is not an inviting analogy, okay? <laughs> but hold up. I want us to explore this idea of being tangled up with God in a good way. Um, guys, and I think it would mainly be guys, um, do you still like wrestle with your friends? No? You don't wrestle with your friends? Okay. Maybe it's just me. No. Um, um, anyway, I can still remember the hours of wrestling I did with my son. He's 17 now, so he could totally like, you know, take me out. Um, I remember the hours of like wrestling, you know, the chafed ears, the limbs bent back at scary angles. Yeah, I remember when once he like kneeled right on my face, I thought my neck was, my, my, my um, you know, nose was broken. I remember when the dog jumped up and nearly knocked his head over, like it was like, and I remember the satisfaction on his face when he kind of finally pinned me down. And, you know, there was a lot of wrestling. I mean, that's what you do, you know, as a dad. And um, I can tell you this. There's not much inner clenching going on when you're tangled up with someone, right? <laughs> you know? And, and did you notice how, how Moses related with God? You know, did that passage when, when we read it, did, did it feel good to you? It sort of freed something up in me. It kind of, something inside me melted when I read that passage. It was like God and Moses were just constantly talking through the changes of life. Moses even felt free to kind of argue with him a bit, asked for things. They were tangled up. They were kind of wrestling. And when we get tangled up in God's web, we're, we're less likely to take on this stance of bad religion, you know, which is to expect that God will just come along and tidy things up according to our idea of how things should be. Instead, if we're involved with him, we can share our fears, our concerns, our ideas. We're unafraid of what he'll say in response or what he'll do. And, and yes, there'll be many times in our lives when big things will be unclear or painful. But when we're tangled up with God, we can thrash these things out and we will know that we won't fall away because his wonderful web will sustain us and catch us. Because God is our always changing never-changing friend. And here's my second and last practical suggestion, and it's, it's for old people like me, okay? Um, number two, dig deep into and make greater use of your life's experience, okay? Um, like I said, I'm in my 50s. You know, <laughs> I work with people half my age sometimes, right? I mean, it's like, they like write these amazing stories. I'm like, how do they do that? I'm a journalist. And like, I couldn't do that at that age. I just feel old and tired sometimes. Can't keep up. And like yesterday at the retreat, like, you know, I could have like beaten all of you at ping pong at your age. 
Austin, is that true? <laughs> I think you were the champion, right? Um, no, that's not true. I actually got tranced by Tim, but that's fine. You know. um, and, and increasingly, I find that like young people really annoy me. <laughs> like, what's this thing about never coming back to the office? Like, what are you doing with that? You know? Um, you know, and as, as you get older, you start to think, like, in parcels of time. You're like, well, like, I've got, like, 25 years left, so what am I going to do in those years, you know? And um, so you don't have these thoughts when you're under 50. You just don't. Um, but one of the things I've been thinking lately, and I credit this to being tangled up with God, is that my decades of experience are actually a unique gift. You know, my life, all the things that I've done is a treasure, not just water under the bridge. You know, my past with its, you know, with its, you know, even with its pain and its missteps is something that I can constantly delve into and I can find new life in. You know, just because big parts of our lives have been lived and it does not mean that it's gone. And I think this is in line with God's nature as someone who's always the same and always changing. And when we get tangled up with him, we, we will look upon our current selves with kindness and feel, dare I say it, some, some hope for the future. Can I pray? So, Jesus, thank you very much for um, being with us today as we discuss some of these things. And I ask that you would be with us now as we do communion, that you would meet us and that you would speak to us and you would encourage us. And that any of us who are going through very difficult times would know that you're close and that you'll never leave. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.